You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, Annie here for Showreel on 3CR, your community radio station. Larissa Berendt is a Uralea Kamarai woman, a legal academic, author and filmmaker. We're talking to her today about the making of Maralinga Jaracha. This film brings the voice of the Maralinga Jaracha people to centre stage as they work not to be defined by the displacement and exposure to the nuclear tests between 1953 and 63, but by millennia of being in country where culture, knowledge and country are indivisible. I asked first how the project came about. Well, the film came about uh, because of the savviness of the Maralinga Jaracha people. Um, ABC had already commissioned uh, Operation Buffalo and when they went up to um, negotiate access to the land up there, the Maralinga Jaritcha, um said that um, they're happy to grant that access, but as part of that, they wanted a chance to tell their own story since clearly the drama series wasn't that. And so they negotiated with the ABC that um, the, the documentary would be, would be made and they also um, negotiated to have the documentary aired before the drama series. That was part of their uh, conditions and uh, and that it had to be played at a time when people would see it. So uh, it needed to be on it in a good time slot. So the Maralinga Jarrett were pretty savvy in terms of um, making sure this documentary actually happened. Now, how did you get involved? Well, it was... I mean, it was uh, Obviously, not my first documentary, um, and I've I've had two two other feature documentaries and done smaller documentaries for NITV and ABC Arts. This was the first uh, project that I had done where I didn't have a pre-existing long relationship with the uh, Aboriginal community that I was working with. Uh, all my other projects have come off the back of very long-term relationships. So it was a challenge in that way. I was approached by the ABC as a potential name to be put forward. And um, I was lucky that I'd had, although not with the Maralinga Jaritja directly, I'd had some contact with one of their uh, lawyers, their legal team. So I was not an unknown in that sense. And um that helped in terms of uh, confidence that I might be able to to do that. And um, obviously I was very interested to do the story. It's a fascinating story. And 
when I heard about how the film had come about, I was even more interested to work with the community. Um, and so I went up and met them. Um, my first trip up there, I didn't take any um, filming equipment. I didn't take any camera crew. I just went up and met with people and listened and got a sense of their story and how they would want their story told, um, which, I, you know, I felt it was the kind of story I could bring to life. And I guess it gave them a chance to to meet me as well and, and see if we were a good fit. And then we, we moved forward after that. But there was... There was a period of, of, of kind of seeing whether the fit would be right and um, of me listening and learning and getting a sense of, of the story. But also I think really importantly, Annie, I think it's also important. Like it helped me really get a sense of the tone of the film and the voice of the community. Um, so it was an incredibly important first step uh, in terms of shaping how we would work together going forward and what the film would actually look like. Yeah, it's really amazing to watch that film. I, I found it amazing because, one, the story is big, like it's a really big story. But I was thinking as I was watching it, you're in a big environment and you've got the personal stories, but it's very hard to tell that story in a filmic way. Uh uh, and I know that, um, say, uh, the uh, Maralinga Gerito people would have had a been telling personal stories and big stories to themselves. What? How did they want to tell that story? I think what what was very clear was that they, you know, they have an eternal connection to their country. That that, that would, you know, I've heard heard them say. We've been here since the beginning of time and we'll be here for the rest of time. So all these other things that happen are a blip. Everyone thinks Maralinga and thinks of the bombing, but that's just one part of the story, right? So I, I think I think that was a, a very important part of the, the context. And and particularly uh, Jeremy LeBoyd, who's our one of our main storytellers in the film. He said to me really early on, you know, you have to think about this is this is only one of several tragedies for us. You know, um, this is about the coming of the railway as our first tragedy and everything that came with that. You know, the 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 men, uh, the white men, the alcohol, the abuse of women, uh, the half caste children who then became, you know, that were targeted. It was not the children themselves, but the targeting of the half-caste children for removal, the ruining of the waterhole at Aldea. That's This is the first tragedy. And the second tragedy is the closing of the mission, partly because of the, the water source being ruined by the trains. Um, and then not being able to go back up onto the country because of the bombing. But that mo- closing of the mission and the, the moving down to, to um, Yalata was sort of the second tragedy. So, so in a way, there's a whole there's a whole large part of the story that comes in before before the testing ever happens. So that was a big, uh, you know, I think a big note for me in terms of the story structure and how to really balance it. And that actually it was the thing about Aldea, um, the closing, being pushed off country. That was a very big part of the story. And then, of course, there's just an extraordinary battle to get the land back. There's there's two land rights legislation. There's a huge campaign for the clean-up of the country. There's some big decisions made. And 
you know, and what I really also tried to capture is the pride that people have of what they've built at Oak Valley, you know, and, um, you know, people would say to me in the street, make sure you get the solar, the solar panels in there. We're very proud of those solar panels. Everything they've, they've built there is this extraordinary place. So, so there's a there's a um, there's a whole story that comes after the testing, and it's not just a story of of the compensation and the cleanup, but it's the story of coming back onto country and caring for that country and, and being able to return to those cycles that have occurred for generations before. So that was the other the other note as well was the, the story that comes after after the testing. So in that way, you know, there it, it, it did help me see the story through through their eyes and and you know I, I felt like I I have a different a deeper appreciation for Spinifex country now not just the beauty of the landscape how how tenacious it is I was quite surprised at how much regrowth there was in some areas and as Jeremy said you know you leave the country alone and it will heal itself that's a wonderful message during this time but that Spinifex is incredibly hearty. And, you know, I think the Spinifex people are as well, and I thought that was very important to capture in the film. Yeah, one of the things, uh, each time I see uh, something from the point of view of uh, Aboriginal people, I, I learn things that I never think I'm going to learn. And one of the ones was the thing where one of the women was talking about... Um, sleeping in the uh, red earth and that it was warm and uh, when they went off country it was cold uh, I was I found that really um, illuminating because I didn't understand that at all I didn't know that at all yeah and it, and it is it's, and the, the the difference goes you know of course way beyond that the properties of heating it reflect a whole range of other properties of the soil but if you if you you know, touch the soil there with your hands or your feet, it almost just comes right off you again. Like your hands are clean again. So you it's, it's, you don't get dirty in the soil there. Whereas if you're down in Yalata where the, the grey earth is, you know, you, it's like any, you know, most places you touch the soil and then you've got particles that are left there and stuck and you get really dirty. And, and, and they, they not just, they, not only will they say it's cold, but they also say it, it it's old um, because they say when you when you sleep in that grey earth, you wake up and you're old. It ages you, whereas the the red earth up in the north keeps you young because it um, it's it's good for you and it's healthy. So it's this extraordinarily um, striking contrast between the countries, and then it starts to. To explain why it was such a tragedy to be moved off, it was, and it wasn't just being away from the spiritual connection and, and one's own country and the heartbreak of that, which of course was profound, but also in this environment, there were just these waves of pneumonia that came through as people were cold and as they couldn't, didn't have the same ability to adapt. So, you know, people might say, well, there, there's not a lot of evidence that Aboriginal people died from the testing because we didn't see many of them exposed to the radiation and died. Now, there were some people, but that's kind of a narrative you hear. But, but there were a lot of people who actually went down to Yalata and died through the pneumonias and the double pneumonias and the flus that went through. And while they're not technically counted as deaths related to, as part of the bombing, 
they really were because they facilitated this, you know, this wave of, of tragedy through these deaths that swept the community because of how fundamentally different the environments were for people. Hi, um, my name's Maya Newell and I made a film called Gaby Baby and recently a film called In My Blood It Runs. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. You're listening to Showreel on 3CR. We're talking to Larissa Berrett, writer and director of Maralinga Geritra, a film made in collaboration with the Maralinga Geritra people. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about in this film, which really grabbed me, was uh, the use of music. It was so emotional. I found it it brought, it was like it took, uh, held my hand and brought me into the story uh, in a way that I only suddenly realised, sort of like 15 minutes in, that I was completely seduced by the music. Uh, uh, what was, uh, who did that and uh, the making of the film later when you were shaping it, uh, how did that go? come about? Yeah, um, yeah, look, I I guess my, my notes about it too were it had to feel like it was really part of the place. And, and one of the things that's really interesting when you're actually up on the country is that the wind through the, the trees at, at a particular time has a really distinctive sound. So I, I had a few notes around the distinctiveness of the country uh, in terms of its sound that I thought were important to, to bring in. And, and I also think it's really important to... You know, I think as with every aspect of filmmaking, because it's so collaboratively, each of your creatives need to um, put in a a different element of um, uh, of their own creativity to boost the film. And I always feel like um, when when the composer really lands the um, the music, it imp- it improves the film by a hundred percent. But it makes it a completely different experience because of that layering of, of their craft on top of the craft of everyone else who's, who's worked on the film, editor, cinematographer, director, etc. Um, and and I, I think what was important in this as well was just not to capture something that gave you the distinctiveness of, of the country, but that also um, spoke to the emotional tone, as you mentioned, Annie, and to not do it in a way that was cliched. I mean, there are a few ways in which people approach composing for Indigenous film that's a bit that, that feels particularly cliched. Um, and you know, the, the the use of instruments in a cliched way um, stops you feeling uh, a level of emotion that will lift you into the story. Um, so you know, I I think that that. That's the big uh, part of it is to find the uniqueness of the country and and build the um, uh, each actually each of the artistic approaches to that and as much as the composer needs to work with that so the, so the, the um, cinematographer does as well as the director does so I think they were a couple of things that we took quite seriously when we um, when we were thinking about the approach to to the music, and you know Darren Dale, who's the producer on the film um, from Blackfella Films, um, you know obviously works a lot in this space, and is uh, you know I think he 
uh, as a as the producer was um, incredibly um, intuitive about uh, getting the right team on board to do the music and um, ensuring that we um, were doing something that would would do credit to the to the people and to the country. Well, it works because it's like another person. It's got a real personality. And it it holds the uh, strength of the film together. Uh, I was really impressed. Yeah, Anthony Partos, who was the composer, has, you know, he's worked a lot in the Indigenous space as well. I think he's got a really good sensibility. He'd worked a lot with Darren as well. So it felt like there was already a cohesiveness between a part of the team. It was almost like that perfect bit of, of enough familiarity and enough newness within the team to to kind of, um, you know, make sure, you know, there was enough of a mix in there with what everyone was doing. Maybe one point about the animation, so using the artwork that way, was an interesting thing. Those, those, um, you know, the, the, the community itself is one where very publicly the, the men uh, seem to be the public face. If you look at the a lot of the the big campaigners around the the land rights, the re, the repatriation, the uh, the clean up were, were all men. The delegations to England were all men. Uh, but that's deceptive because within the community, the women have an enormous amount of power. You see the cultural authority of somebody like Cindy, one of the elders there, or, or Mima, um, and you see that actually women have a very, very strong role to play in those communities, even if to the outside world it might seem like it's much more something the men do. Um, so I'd actually looked to use the artwork of women as a way of ensuring I had women's voice in there. Um, but in the end, I, I felt that we we were able to build enough trust to dig into um, the characters of the community that... Um, that you know we were we were able to get those really strong women's voices through as well, but it was lovely to use the artwork to speak to the country. Were they happy with the result? Uh, they were, which which of course in 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 some ways that is the most important thing. Uh, I think you feel the responsibility as the filmmaker when somebody trusts you to tell their story, and their story is a big story and it's an important story. It's a national story. This is a story or all Australians need to know. It's a part of our national history, what happened at Maralinga, but it's also a very personal story. Um, and, and you know, I, I think it's important to emphasise too, it's, it, it, it's the outcome that, that, of course, in itself is really important. Uh, the community were really pleased with it. They had a communal screening up at Oak Valley the night it aired. Um, and you know all our all our key uh, participants were pleased with what the, how the film came out. But the other part of it that I think is really important, and I, and I hope has has added to the experience for the community, is that in the process of making the film, you know, obviously went into the archives in South Australia. It's a part of the structure of the film story that um, that we have two of our our characters. Um, Nima Smart and Jeremy LaBoys go into the, the South Australian Museum and collect uh, photographic um, materials that, that, that had come from the community to repatriate them and return them up there. So there's that actual physical thing of them having all of this archive come back to the community. So that's, 
something that the film helped to facilitate. But the other thing that we we you know we found through the filming because it was so much archive, we were able to find material that the community didn't know existed. So the the uh, the, the lawmen going over to England, the news footage of that was just the the, the community wasn't aware of. There was there was footage from the handbacks where there were members of the community who had since passed. Uh, who were in that. There was actually one uh, bit of footage that Jeremy had never seen that had both of his grandfathers holding up the, re- the deeds of the returned land. So there's a way in which the process of the film can hopefully give a lot more back to the community in addition to just a truthful telling of their story in their own voice. Um, so I think those things, of you know, I, I hope would be lasting legacies. And and the film itself actually uh, was picked up by Sky in the UK, so it played there. So the the ability of the story to travel beyond Australia and internationally back to the country that was responsible for the bombings, I think, have all been additional things um, that have come out of the film that you know that are you know I hope have have boosted the the community's. Uh, sense that this has been a positive thing. And, of course, the final thing to just note about that, um, everyone would be aware that there are some very strict protocols around um, death in the Aboriginal communities, particularly um, it could still occur across the country when somebody dies. Um, and uh, but, what, but what I think communities are now grappling with a lot more and seeing it a lot more in my work is that while those protocols are still absolutely um, observed in places, and, and Oak Valley up there is probably, I've worked in communities around the country, and particularly in the Gulf, um, that, are, that are very traditional. But this was the most traditional community I'd worked in where their protocol, they take their protocols incredibly seriously. I'd be very careful about where I walked off the main roads because I couldn't find myself in a place where I shouldn't be. So you have to, you know, there's a there's a whole range of things to navigate in the space. Um, but I think one thing we're seeing with film is that there's an appreciation now that that it, that it captures something that the community can hold on to and that they don't lose. Um, so you know, we had this sad experience through the filming that we'd finished filming, and then one of the very senior men at Oak Valley had passed away, and my initial thought was, you know, it's a pity, but we're going to have to cut. Um, this this man out um, of the film, but the community, um, in consultation very very deeply with the family, decided that although they would be respecting the protocols in the community, that they wanted the inclusion in the film, appreciating it was a big part of the story and that voice shouldn't be lost. So there's some interesting ways the community is thinking about legacy and story and voice as well that we as filmmakers have to be really led by. These aren't our decisions to make, it's the community's decision. Um, and then we need to, to make sure that's followed through with. That's our responsibility. Gosh, that's really interesting. Very adaptable people. Uh, the, um, the, what, do you have any sense of the reaction to this film in England? I haven't. I, um, I, I haven't. Darren did say that, it, that they were, that Sky was, was pleased with how it had gone, that there had been interest in terms of their ratings, but I, um, I, I, I'm not sure of the actual details, but at least in sense of it, the sense of it having an audience and getting a good audience 
Uh, I believe that to be the case. And, and it, as you know, these films now have lives of their own. They've been on ABC iView and still is, but, you know, these, these from, from there there are a range of platforms now, digital platforms that, um, you know, are an exciting way for filmmakers to ensure that, that um, films have a life beyond... Um, screening dates either through broadcasters or in cinemas. Um, and, and I think particularly documentary, there are some great platforms that can give um, films that have important stories to tell a long, much longer life. How long did it take you to make? Well, this was a bit of a challenge with the film, particularly because the community had given me the added um, challenge that the, this film had to be finished before the um, the the drama went to air. So I had quite a short time frame. And, and even with that, you know, I couldn't cut some corners. I, just because we had a very short time frame to do it, and it was really, uh, you know, it was, I, I had, I think, done my first trip up in about September. I finished filming right at the end of January, and it was, on air early May. <laughs> had to put time to make Bravo. a film. Um, so it was an extraordinary effort. On top of that, we had we had some filming in December um, that I had to cut short because uh, there was important cultural business that starts. And it doesn't start on a date. It starts at a particular time when when some things with, within the environment happen, and that's the time it happens. So you've got no control over the dates, you know. And we were warned that, you know, that this 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 would be pending. Um, and as soon as it started, uh, you know, I, I I just got the, the, the all the crew just left. We didn't try and film around it. We didn't try and go and film in other parts of the of the country of, of their country. Um, we respected that the cultural business was underway, and we left. And we couldn't get back until uh, late January to do the last bit of filming um, and, and, um, and added a couple of extra days on in Adelaide for a, a couple of extra interviews. But I'd started the edit with Jane Usher, who's the editor on that, before I went back to do the final bit of filming. So I had that. And then right at the end, there's a scene where we see the fabulous community nurse, uh, Jason, talking to the community up at Oak Valley in one of our community shots. And he was actually talking to them about uh, the COVID-19 uh, that was just starting uh, to, everyone was starting to become aware of. Uh, and they were starting to thinking that there was, there was some thoughts about starting to lock the community down. So we had this very small window between the... Um, the the end of the cultural business when we could get back up there uh, onto the country, um, and then the community starting to prepare for closing closing off because of COVID. You know, getting all their supplies up there, so they're incredibly obviously distracted with that very important business. So we we had a couple of extra challenges around that, and and then of course when we were going through the the post and and wanting to really consult closely with people making sure we didn't have any frames in there where we'd inadvertently caught um, landscape or people that shouldn't be in there, all of those things that need very close scrutiny. Um, you know, we were dealing with communities who were in the process of being of, of locking down or being locked down. 
Um, so there was some extra challenges, but we were lucky that we had all the footage before the COVID um, uh, lockdowns happened. So we were at least lucky that we had the, the film material. And so we were able to, um, you know, do social distancing, et cetera, but we could get all the posts done um, uh, during that time. Yeah, so, yes, the time frame was extraordinary. Um, and I was very pleased with it because you... Just because you've got to um, do things in a tight time frame doesn't mean you can cut corners. Um, you know, I think that always shows in a film if you've if you've not done something the right way. Probably the the other thing to to just reflect on is that I'm just explaining to you the story of how the film came about because of the um, the activism and the uh, you know the savviness of the community. Once we got up there with the cameras and turned the cameras on, everyone just disappeared. That's hilarious. So we had to build up a lot of a lot of trust and patience with people to to get them in on front of the cameras. <laughs> that was another challenge after they were so successful in getting the funding for the film and having it go forward. Then we're all too shy to be on the camera. <laughs> so uh, anyway, in the end, we got it. We got a lovely story. Yeah. That's it for Showreel this week. Keep safe and tune in next week for more news from Australian filmmakers and those who support the industry. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me, ooh, 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 ooh. and I'm feeling good. Fly out in the sun, you know what I mean, don't you know? Butterflies all having fun, you know what I mean? Sleep in peace when day is done, that's what I mean. And this old world is a new world and a bold world for me. shine, you know how I feel, send out the pine, you know how I feel, oh, freedom is mine, and I know how I feel, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me, the, 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 the,
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.